Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults in the Occult, number 14. Mary, the title is? That's right. That wasn't my voice. I was just doing Millie Vanilli, the lip service there. Uh, Witchcraft and the Rise of Wicca. I have a feeling that one of these days I'm going to have to explain who Millie Vanilli was to some of you younger people, but I don't have time for that tonight. That's right. We're in witchcraft and the rise of Wicca. And so far, by way of recap, we've already seen the definition of witchcraft. Of course, we saw before it's two words, wiki and craft, right? Just basically meaning straight up witch and, of course, the craft of witches, okay? Which, again, the variance we saw before was just a straight out spelling was Wicca. So don't let anybody tell you that Wicca is not witchcraft because the very name means witch, okay? As we saw there, we saw the definition of that. We also saw the different types of witches. Now, this is not every single one on the planet, but there's a multitude of different types of witches out there, okay, as we saw before in our study. We saw the old crone. Now, remember, that has no relation to me. Remember that? Or my family. Don't say that's my wife or daughter. John will lay hands on you, right, John? You got my back? Okay, praise God for that. Remember remember our heritage, royalty, royalty, try not to boast, but anyway. No, we're not to come from the old crone. Uh, the black Annas we saw there, also black Agnes, also known. The fairy godmother, right? And that's actually an actual photo back in the day in the children's stories, but notice the fairy godmother, Disney's cleaned her up. Okay, uh, that was basically a witch. And pumpkins are big. We'll get into Halloween and all that stuff eventually. So, uh, and speaking of which, the evil queen. Disney is big on witchcraft. We saw before, and we got into the study on mirrors. Remember that? Mirrors in the occult. Kind of took a little detour there to explain why. The mirror, mirror on the wall. What was going on with that? That's an occult thing. We also saw with the old hag, okay, uh, that was going on there. And Bafana. That was kind of like the Italian version. Brandy brought this out uh, when we got home after that study, and she says, you know, that looks very uh, similar to uh, Disney's fairies, doesn't it? I don't know, maybe it's a quinky dink, John, I don't know, but uh, give it up for my wife, who's not uh, the old crone that you saw depicted. She looks much different than that. Okay, uh, then we got into the sea, which was uh, another type of witch that we uh, got into Disney also, and then modern witches as well, all kinds of witches, different areas of focus, but guess what? You can call it black magic, green magic, white magic. Guess what? It's all evil. I'll give you the obvious uh, analogy that it probably won't be the last time shocker that I share this analogy. Black magic, white magic, green magic, doesn't matter. It's all evil right baked chicken fried chicken boiled chicken it's all evil you can do what you want to but that's the basic uh analogy that we saw there okay then we got into the location of witches and we saw that what man they are basically all over the world today this is not just some backwoods alley thing it's all over the world today and places you wouldn't even think of okay but it is worldwide now tonight what we're going to get into is what i call the protection of witches, the protection of witches. And what I mean by that is this, okay, what, what, what if we know witches, witches and witchcraft is real, okay, and we're just barely getting started, okay, uh, but unfortunately, they do stuff. They, they try to uh, do uh, uh, hexes on people, curses on people and stuff, and so, so what happens? What do you do? I, I've shared some stories, if you were here at the last study, that some people felt that that's what witches were doing to them, even as Christians, right? So is that something we should walk around and be afraid and, and freak out? Do we have to always be wondering, what are the witches up to? No. Now, the issue when it comes to protection against the occult, let alone witchcraft, is you need to do it, hello, God's way. Now, what we're going to see tonight, after I deal with God's way, is the world is not doing it God's way. And they're resorting to basically trying to fight witchcraft with witchcraft. Ain't going to work. Okay, it's crazy stuff. We're going to get into that tonight. But let's take a look at how do you do it God's way? What, how do you deal with the occult? Okay, well, that's our opening text tonight. Mark chapter 9. Let's take a look there. Mark chapter 9 is our opening text. Mark 9, verses 14 through 27, okay? And this is just one of many, 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 many passages where we see Jesus dealing with demonic possession. And a good thing that doesn't happen today. Yeah, whatever. You get involved in the occult and things of that nature, that's exactly what's going to happen. And we'll probably have whole studies on that, Lord willing, eventually, even in our witchcraft section, okay? But uh, Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read 14 through 27, but let's take a look at how do you deal with this? An actual demon showed up, okay? Actual demon person, a person was demon-possessed. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with this kind of a cold stuff, right? Well, let's take a look. Uh, verse 14 says, when they came to the other disciples, they, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to meet him. What, what, what are you arguing with him about? He asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, I, I, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit, i.e. a demon, that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it what? 
It throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, what, listen to what Jesus said. Oh, what? Unbelieving generation. Now, can I tell you something? And we, we're not, we'll get into this in a whole different study. We're living in a world today, not just in the world, but the church no longer, you talk about an unbelieving generation. They don't even believe what we're reading right now, that actual demonic possession exists. But it's on a scale, folks, bigger than you can even dream. And dare I say, oftentimes people will get demonically possessed. Guess what? When you get involved in the occult. Been there, done that. Wish I would not have bought the t-shirt. Okay. Also, when you get involved in drug usage, which is also big in the cult, we'll have a whole study just on that as well. But he says, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? And how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And then Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water or to what? Trying to what? What's he trying to do? To kill. Now, why would he do that? Well, demons who work with Satan, who's a fallen angel uh, as well. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus clues us in on two other aspects of Satan. And he's a liar and the father of all lies. He's a what? He's a murderer and he's been one from the beginning. Okay, and so it's not a surprise. And I remember when I was involved in the occult, it wasn't just that the demons, literally, I was probably not oppressed, but multiply possessed because I used to ask these entities to come inside me and give me power and things of that nature. You've heard my testimony, okay? Uh, but they weren't just driving me insane. They were trying to kill me. The goal of a demon, the goal of Satan is to trick anybody away long enough from Jesus, the only way to get to heaven long enough for them to take their last breath and die and go to hell, right? So whether it's, and, and by the way, that includes getting involved in the occult. Just as long as you don't go down that Jesus route, as long as you don't turn to Jesus on the cross, as long as you don't ask Jesus to forgive you all your sins and trust in his work and his work alone, that's what they want. And they can kill you along the way by getting involved in stuff. A lot of big things that you're going to see with the occult, a lot of big things with the drug usage, okay, uh, is suicides. Where do you think those thoughts come from? It ain't from the Spirit of God. Who's putting this thought of self-murder? Who, why, why are they, the demons so bent on killing people? Because if they, if they can trick you into literally sometimes pulling the trigger, then you go straight to hell. That's what their modus of operandus is, but that's a whole other study. So that's what he wanted to do to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus. What is his response? If you can. It's like, do you understand who you're talking to here, bro? I mean, this is God in the flesh here. This is Jesus, right? He said, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help, over, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit, i.e. the demon, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you to come out of him and what? Never enter him again. And the spirit, what? Shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up, okay? So when the occult comes your way, when you're actually experiencing maybe a, a demonic entity or some sort of a demonic oppression, uh, or maybe you're dealing with somebody who's actually demonically possessed, what do you do? What's the method? What's the surefire way? It's number one, if you're not saved, you need to what? You need to get saved, become a Christian, right? Because then you become indwelled with the Holy Spirit who is God, and he ain't going to be scooching room over with the demon, so the demons have to leave immediately. Again, been there, done that. Praise God, that t-shirt was put on me through Christ, okay? Uh, but if you are a Christian, what do you do? You deal with it in the name and the authority of Jesus because that's what the scripture repeatedly teaches. No other name under heaven by which men might be saved, the scripture says, no other name under heaven than Jesus Christ that demons must cower, obey, and flee. That's how you deal with it. Now, what we're gonna see tonight is guess what? The world doesn't do that. And they got all their gimmickry. And again, they're trying to basically fight the occult with the occult and it doesn't work. Okay, but, but, but the one big thing that people come up, well, wait a second, okay, so I, I get that if that's an actual demon shows up, or I get that if somebody's demon-possessed, that we deal with that in the name and authority of Jesus. But speaking of witches, one of the big things that they throw out there is they, they say, I'm going to curse you, I'm going to get a hex on you, I'm going to throw a curse. Should we as Christians be afraid of being cursed by a witch? No, not at all, okay? In fact, that ain't ever gonna happen. God's not gonna allow it to happen. Let me explain why biblically. The Bible tells us that like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. That's Proverbs 26, verse two, if you wanna check it out. So basically what he's saying is 
listen, curses have no effect. God does not allow his children to be cursed. Why? Because God is God. He's the big one. He's the big cheese. Nobody's more powerful than him. And if you belong to him, who's going to overpower him? I mean, is God really sitting there going, man, I, I was really trying to give you protection there, John, but that witch uh, and, and their techniques overpowered me. It's ridiculous, right? God is not going to allow that. No one has the power to curse one, listen, whom God has decided to bless, okay? And uh, spells, though, in the Bible, because they do do this. They try to, yes, I shared some stories with you. They'll mess with you, okay? But God is the one who's always sovereign. You don't need to worry about it. Even the scripture says God will take the curse and turn it into a blessing, Read the Bible. Who's in charge? We don't need to be worrying about, oh, they're going to Now, it's real. They really do engage in this stuff. But I don't, as a Christian, now, if you're not a Christian, you're in a heap of trouble. Okay, they'll mess with you all day long. But even if they're Christian, even if they do mess with you, okay? I, I shared with you a story. Man, where'd those cockroaches come from and what's going on? But again, was the family, oh, no. You just deal with it in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. You don't have to freak out. But spells in the Bible are also and always described negatively, Right? And uh, God condemns that. We're going to probably get in this passage later, not tonight, but another study. Deuteronomy 18, we've seen this many times. Uh, Those who cast spells and those who commit other acts that are, quote, detestable by God, okay, such as child sacrifice, witchcraft, sorcery, divination, and necromancy, which is trying to consult with the dead. Micah 5.12 says that God will destroy witchcraft and those who cast spells. Now, that's a warning from God. If you're flirting with witchcraft and stuff, guess what? You're on the wrong side of the tracks, right? And God's very clear. He is all-powerful. He considers this stuff detestable, and he will destroy it, okay? Uh, In fact, Revelation 18 describes spells as a part of the deception that will be used by the Antichrist in the city of Babylon, the great city Babylon. God will utterly destroy Satan and the Antichrist and all who follow them. You see that in Revelation 19 and 20. The Christian who's been born again is a brand new person in Jesus Christ. You're a new creation. You're not like the old. You no longer belong to the enemy. You now belong to Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And we are in the constant presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and we are under God's protection. Romans chapter 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. He even mentions that angels are demons height nor depth nothing can separate we are fully protected we belong to god and again we'll get into this later as we saw before in our spiritual warfare study that when you become indwelled with the holy spirit think about that right uh because there's false teachings from the charismatic community that would say that oh it's christians you can still be possessed by a demon that's a lie from the pit of hell literally from the pit of hell because the bible says first uh, corinthians 3 that we're indwelt with the holy spirit of god we've become his temple you really think that the spirit of god's going to scooch over and share room with a, a demon that's it's insane and not only that jesus also said that those that come to him that he jesus and his father the father will make his their home in us so technically you got god the father god the son god the holy spirit inside of you and they're going to share room with the demon that's ridiculous so again, that's the good, one of the many benefits of being a Christian, not only rescued from hell, <laughs> is you don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. And that's what he's saying. And that includes curses. We don't need to worry about anybody casting any sort of pagan spell on us. Voodoo, witchcraft, hexes, curses have no power over us because they come from Satan. And the Bible's for, very clear, 1 John 4, 4. The one who is in you, Jesus, is greater than the one, Satan, who's in this world. God has overcome him, and we've been free to worship without fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I don't wake up every day going, what's the enemy up to? What's the, what's the devil up to? What's demons up to? What's those witches? I hope they're not casting a spell on me. Whatever. If something happens, if something does of a spiritual nature, come out, deal with it that then, uh, as it happens, and, and move on. But my thought of getting up in the day is, Jesus, what have you called me to do? What do you want me to do today? What's your will for this like today? This might be my last day. What do you want me to do today? That's my thoughts. I, I haven't been given a spirit of fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, verse 1. I don't need to be afraid of this stuff. Now, that's again for the Christian. Now, let me share with you an actual testimony of, believe it or not, uh, witches who learned this the hard way that God's in control and you could do your witchcraft stuff and your hexes and curses and you ain't doing nothing, okay, uh, without uh, uh, having to confront God. Watch this. And this is a, a guy who was into witchcraft. This is his testimony. 
He said it was all witches and warlocks. We lived on witchcraft. We had uh, direct contact with the devil himself. When I was younger, about eight or nine years old, I would see my father go into his room to worship the devil, and I could feel the presence of the devil come into that room, and my father would worship, listen, and speak in tongues, demonic tongues. That's another interesting thing. We just finished 42 weeks on the charismatic chaos. Guess who also speaks? Also, notice it wasn't biblical languages, which is Acts 2, the biblical example of when that gift was in existence, it was gibberish. So the occult does gibberish, and we've talked about that before. But he says that we uh, uh, spoke in tongues, demonic tongues, worship and put flowers out and candle and water out. Remember we saw last time water reflective mirrors and things. Uh, From seven o'clock to five in the morning, he said, I was going to basically demonic church. I was going to witchcraft church. He said, I was being trained to be a warlock. I was being trained by witches that had been in that religion for 30 to 40 to 50 years. I was being trained to speak to principalities, to spirits uh, in the ground. Uh, And you couldn't ever speak to the devil right away. You had to earn your right, he said, to speak to the devil. He said, the first mass killing that these people did in my neighborhood, he says, the husband had stabbed his wife 52 times and cut her ears off. And my brothers and I were there hanging out with her daughter. And... uh, and when she found her mother uh, cut up to pieces he said at the age of 13 i was astral projecting my body i would leave my body at home to go and curse the neighborhood again we're on the issue of cursing is that something we need to be concerned about he said i i I go out there and and astral project my body and i put out there in the neighborhood the spirit of prostitution the spirit of drugs in the neighborhood homosexuality here the spirits notice what he just said there that homosexuality this is crazy stuff man spirits of demons here spirits of murder there suicide spirits of suicide thoughts of that he said I knew how to channel all the spirits in the neighborhood and at the age of 15 to 16 I would go into hospitals and put the spirit of death in the ICU in all the rooms I wanted them to die quote because I wanted to be the biggest witch in New York City and he says if I told you I was going to kill you in 30 days you better prepare yourself to die he said, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you know. I don't care what religion. He's, he said, I don't even care if you were a Catholic, right? Well, as we saw before in our Roman Catholicism study, uh, they don't believe the same thing that the Bible teaches, unfortunately, that uh, it's only through Jesus and his work alone. Uh, they teach that you have to keep the sacraments in order to earn favor with God, and that's not what the Bible says. He said, he said you better be prepared. I was going to kill you. He said, I was involved in a conversation where a lady came to me, and she said she uh, wanted me to kill another lady for ten thousand dollars he says i'll I'll do it for seven he says in fact i won't even have to leave my house and she said oh by the way this lady's a christian he said i'll kill her for free he said i don't need the money i'll kill her for free i'm going to teach these christians a lesson i I don't want your money i'm going to kill her for free he said i did the voodoo thing i did the witchcraft thing and 21 days went by and she didn't die a month went by she still didn't die I was like, wow, what's going on? My reputation's on the line. I, I called the demons up and I increased the witchcraft. I doubled the witchcraft and, and so that she would die overnight, but nothing was going on, nothing at all. And so I was home at night and the devil showed up, he says, and the presence of the devil comes in the room. Listen to this. He said, the devil told me that we, quote, have to abort the plan for the lady you want to kill. And he said, I said, but I'm a witch, I'm a warlock. If, if I don't kill the lady, they won't think I have any powers. And he, he told me, you don't understand, quote, the God that she believes in says to leave her alone. Now, what's that basically? First John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I don't need to walk around. Do you think that girl had any idea that an actual witch at a warlock was trying to not just curse her, but kill her through witchcraft? Probably completely oblivious. But God saw it. And who had her back? Who took care of her? God that's why I don't have to worry about this stuff right okay and that's the good news about being a Christian okay so I don't need to worry about that protection you do it God's way even if there's curses I don't have to worry about that God will take care of my back he's got my back as his child but speaking of the charismatic community they talk about not just curses they talk about generational curses and if you don't do their charismatic techniques and get rid of those demons inside of you which is a heresy or demons that are influencing you that's why you've got all these problems because you've got a generational curse going on really and they'll blame it on anything man right they say here's a sign that you have a generational curse this is from the charismatic community which obviously is false but they say it could be mental and emotional breakdowns chronic illnesses miscarriages marriage and family problems financial difficulties headaches and even being clumsy or accident prone that's a generational curse 
Now I'm looking over here purposely away from certain people. <laughs> well, are you serious? A generational curse? Come on, man. Again, once again, as we saw, I'm not going to redo 42 weeks of charismatic chaos. Who said, amen, praise God, preacher? Okay. Uh, but how many times do we see they always inherently, unfortunately, take things out of context? And one of the big things they do is they take Old Testament passages that were dealing with Israel and had nothing to do with the church and try to make it apply to us. It's the same thing when it comes to generational curses. Let's take a look at that. What does the Bible say about breaking generational curses? The Bible mentions generational curses in several places. God warns that he is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. It sounds unfair for God to punish children for the sins of their fathers. However, there is more to it than that. The effects of sin are naturally passed down from one generation to the next. When a father has a sinful lifestyle, his children are likely to practice that same sinful lifestyle. Implied in the warning of Exodus 25 is the fact that the children will choose to repeat the sins of their fathers. A Jewish Targum specifies that this passage refers to ungodly fathers and rebellious children. So it is not unjust for God to punish sin to the third and fourth generation. Those generations are committing the same sins their ancestors did. There is a trend in the church today to try to blame every sin and problem on some sort of generational curse. This is not biblical. God's warning to visit iniquity on future generations is part of the Old Testament law. A generational curse was a consequence for a specific nation, Israel, for a specific sin, idolatry. The history books of the Old Testament, especially Judges, contain the record of this divine punishment meted out. The cure for a generational curse has always been repentance. When Israel turned from idols to serve the living God, the curse was broken and God saved them. Yes, God promised to visit Israel's sin upon the third and fourth generations, but in the very next verse, he promised that he would show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In other words, God's grace lasts a thousand times longer than his wrath. For the Christian who is worried about a generational curse, the answer is salvation through Jesus Christ. A Christian is a new creation. How can a child of God still be under God's curse? The cure for a generational curse is repentance of the sin in question, faith in Christ, and a life consecrated to the Lord. So, you got saved, you was a born-again Christian, guess what? Even if there was some sort of generational issue going on, which again, the primary pastors deal with Israel, not the church, but still, there is a practicality that, you know, you, your fathers or your parents did sinful stuff, you have a tendency to repeat it, and, but that again, is God being unjust? No, because guess what? You're doing the same sin, so we're all held accountable. But the good news is, the moment you get saved, what? That's busted, right? And I think it's sad and sick and unfortunate of the charismatic community to have people think that we don't basically haven't been free from these kind of things in Jesus Christ. When he says new creation, you're new creation. You're not bound by somebody's past, whether it be some ancestor or even your own past. Amen? We're a brand new creature in Christ. And how dare you say that, nope, you're still a slave to that, and you better follow our secret techniques, which don't even want to get into the things they do. Remember that one technique they said that you need to, to barf up the demon inside you? Remember that? Remember those videos? We, I'm not going to go back there. The one where you got to pass gas to get rid of the demon? Wish I was making that one up. Okay, you got to be kidding me, right? It's ridiculous. It's unbiblical, and it's sad because it gets Christians to not realize the freedom that we have in Christ, that he has set us free not only from sin, but the evil one, demons, you name it. We are brand spanking new. Okay, now that's bad enough that the charismatic community teaches, obviously, in the church even, uh, but the world uh, gets it totally wrong, okay, uh, when it comes to how do you protect yourself uh, from witchcraft, the occult, things of that nature when they do try to come your way, okay? What we're going to see is a couple different uh, techniques that they use, which none of them work, okay? You have these things called amulets, okay? Is, is one thing. We're going to focus on that uh, tonight. Uh, another thing is basically uh, what we would consider, and they consider two good luck charms, right? That's supposed to ward off this evil. Uh, three is another thing called talismans, okay? Uh, that can also supposedly uh, fight off evil, but also maybe even give you superpowers, a bunch of baloney, whatever. But let's take a look at the uh, amulets, okay? Good luck charms, talismans, take a look at that. And again, this is how the world tries to fight evil, because evil's real. And witches in the occult, they do do curses and, and, and hexes and things of that nature. And they are, there are demonic things that go on 
and demonic influences, that is real. But they don't go about it God's way. Number one, you better get saved. Or if you are saved, you deal with it in the name and authority of Jesus. Nope, that's not what they do. The enemy's got them off on a detour. Amulets are also known as good luck charms. They're objects believed to confer protection upon his possessor. If you have this, you'll be protected, they believe. The word amulet comes from the Latin word uh, meaning uh, amuletum, which describes an object that protects a person from trouble, right? So if you don't want to have trouble, even the spiritual realm, you got to carry this thing with you wherever you go is the idea. Now, anything can function as an amulet, okay? It could be gems, it could be statues, it could be rocks, it could be coins, it could be drawings, uh, plant parts, animal parts, written words. We're going to see the Asian community uses that in a big way here in just a little bit. Amulets are said to derive their extraordinary properties from magic, right? Oh, so you're using the occult to try to fight the occult. Doesn't work, okay? It's it's just not gonna happen, okay? Obviously, this is paganism. Talismans and charms may differ from amulets having alleged magical powers other than just protection, so is the idea. But let me give you some examples around the world. They're still in function today. And again, just like witchcrafts all over the world still today, most people don't want to deal with it, but it is. People around the world, they know better. And unfortunately, what they don't know better is how to deal with it. They're still trying to deal with it by fighting witchcraft with witchcraft, with these amulets, okay, all over the world. Now, this first one is called the Nazar. Uh, this is popular. It's an amulet worn uh, to ward off the evil eye. How many guys heard the evil eye, Right? When you didn't put that dish back in the right place, what did you get, men? Now, you don't want to say it because it's a long drive home. Right? The evil eye, right? Uh, but notice down there, there's the eyeball down there to protect you from the evil eye, the evil eye, right? Now, believe it or not, the evil eye, this, this particular one, the Nazar, this is a very popular amulet still today in much of the Arabic countries. And we're going we're to take a journey around the world tonight with these amulets and uh, their unfortunate things. But the evil eye, okay? Uh, the evil eye basically is one of the biggest still ongoing superstitious beliefs of, of a occult entity person putting a curse on you with the evil eye. Uh, it is still huge around the world, okay? But let's take a look at what is the evil eye and how people are trying to deal with this. Let's take a look. We know what it means to give someone the evil eye, but a lot of cultures for a long time all over the world, this is one of the most ubiquitous types of superstitions among all different types of religions and all different types of people, is that the evil eye can cause actual harm. And the evil eye was said to happen in ancient Greek and Roman times when somebody got to be, they got too much praise, too many accolades, more than they really deserved. And if you were getting more attention and more credit than you deserved, that you were in danger of being stricken down by the evil eye of the gods. And what this would look like would be madness or disease or some sort of ill will bestowed upon you. And almost everything that was unexplained, any kind of illness that that they couldn't explain, was explained by the evil eye. It was greatly feared. It wasn't just the gods that could strike you with an evil eye. It was also believed that other people could strike you down with an evil eye, and women were known to have a more powerful evil eye than men. I can tell you my mother had one. And, but also animals, certain animals like snakes, there were animals that could also give you the evil eye. So how did you ward off against it? The way to do that was to wear evil eye jewelry. And these were in the shape of an eye, or they could be blue concentric circles. Those are especially popular in Greece. Blue is supposed to be the best color to ward off the evil eye. The idea is if you wear jewelry that has the evil eye, if somebody gives you the evil eye, it will be reflected back to them and you will be guarded. So you will find evil eye jewelry all over the world in antique jewelry, in estate jewelry, and jewelry being made today. It is one of the most popular things to find in jewelry. And it's still out there today uh, in, in a big way. But the, the, And I'm telling you, all over the world, they're still wearing jewelry amulets, basically, to ward off this potential evil eye that somebody or the gods, they believe, are trying to curse you. Uh, I'm talking the Mediterranean, Asia, even the Jewish rabbinic uh, literature. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, we saw a lot of them over in Israel in the knick-knack paddywhack shops. Man, they're just 
trying to get you to buy one. Uh, Cyprus, Greece, Portugal, Brazil. This is the evil eye. They still believe and still wear amulets to protect themselves from the evil eye. Much a, uh, a lot of it in jewelry form. Georgia, Armenia, Albania, Algeria, Tunisia, Lebanon, Turkey, Palestine, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh, Iran, Iraq, Italy, Nepal, Pakistan, India, Morocco, Spain, Mexico, Malta, Romania, Bulgaria, the Balkans, Afghanistan, Syria, Bahrain, uh, Latin America, East and West Africa, Central America, again, Asia, South, Central, uh, throughout Europe. And believe it or not, the evil eye is even found in Islam based upon a statement by uh, Muhammad. Uh, actually mentions that and which uh, my thing would be that tells you where he's getting his information from uh, it ain't from God okay that's another clue uh, but also there was another thing not only did we see there was this uh, uh, Nazar thing here that they would wear and again this is more than one out of the Arab Arabic ones uh, but there was another thing that they did uh, with the hand to try to ward off this evil eye and here it is the sign of the horn you see that a lot today, even here in our own country, but technically the sign of the horns was a horned hand gesture for warding off the evil eye, okay? Uh, so apparently if you couldn't afford one of these amulets, you could just use your hand and that's what it is, okay? Uh, but of course, as you can see, it's formed by extending the index and little fingers while holding the middle and ring fingers down with a thumb. Uh, and again, believe it or not, this thing, this isn't just for rock bands in the United States of America. Okay, no, it's actually around the world, this sign of the horn thing. It's, I didn't, it's pretty cool. Uh, in Hinduism, this gesture right here is known as the Apana Yogic Mudra, and they use it in Buddhism, and they believe that this is what Buddha used, this hand sign, to get rid of demons and obstacles like sickness and negative thoughts, as well as, even in Buddhism, to ward off the evil eye. Now, guess who also uses that hand signal? Wicca. Wicca uses this sign of the horns during religious rituals, and we'll get into their rituals and practices eventually, Lord willing, uh, to invoke or represent the horned god. Little g there. The horned god, okay? Also uh, in other forms known as pan, okay? Uh, basically like a goat head with horns, wh- hooves, uh, you know, portions of a human body and things of that nature, uh, but uh, said to induce a state of panic in the followers of Pan. We'll get into that eventually as well. Uh, also is where Pan is where we get a lot of the depictions and artwork of Satan or the devil. Uh, picture with horns, a lot of it comes from Pan. So again, we'll get into that later. Uh, but Wicca uses that hand signal again uh, in there that. Now, of course, the big thing that we know today, unfortunately, is music. A lot of music people do the sign of the horns. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. You may not be aware of the Beatles. The Beatles use the sign of the horns in their Yellow Submarine album. John Lennon's right hand is making the sign above Paul Cartney's head. Disney movies do it several different times. Let me give you one example you may not know. This is from the 1971 Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Okay, there's a scene in there where, quote, a goat-legged figure with a jester's cap is leading a procession of outlandish-looking features flashing the sign. Frank Zappa was big into it. Gene Simmons with Kiss is into it. Marlon Brando, believe it or not, used the sign even as far back as 1955 in a movie he was doing, The Guys and Dolls. Another popular film in the 80s, 1985, The Breakfast Club. Remember that one? Uh, If you recall, Dick Vernon, he was the grumpy vice principal that everybody didn't like. His famous line was, don't mess with the bull, young man, you'll get the horns. And he flashes the sign with the horns rotating his wrist. Simpsons got into it. The Simpsons cartoon did the sign of the horns and episodes there. And of course, but what we know it most importantly uh, is uh, in the, the uh, music industry, specifically heavy metal. Uh, Ronnie James Dio uh, depicted there is accredited with making it popular in heavy metal, but you can also see that's used even today with gangs, uh, and that is specifically the MS-13 gang member. They use the sign of the horns as well, uh, and it's also also popular in universities and sports. Uh, the hook'em horns, they will also call them things of that nature, but technically uh, throughout history, that was a sign to get uh, protect you supposedly from the evil eye. Now, would that work? No, none of this stuff works. The only thing that works that will protect you from the occult, anything that would come your way, is Jesus Christ. Okay, but again, the enemy not only leads people away from Jesus Christ, even when people know that something is going horribly wrong, even demonically so, he tricks them into not utilizing the one thing that can actually work. 
and keep them in that illusion. Now, let me give you a couple other ones real quick. Ancient Rome, this is one on record. Uh, this is their amber amulet. Uh, just one of many. Rome had many amulets, this whole idea that you can fight witchcraft, a witchcraft, a cult with a cult, because Rome basically built on the backs of the Greek culture, which was big into this as well. Also, the reason why there's stone amulets typically in Rome is because uh, their belief was that the gods also were represented by stones. So if you wanted the protection of a particular god, then you had to get an amulet made of that particular god's stone right? For instance, Jupiter is represented on Chalcedony. Uh, Saul was heliotrope. Mars was supposed to be red jasper. Ceres on green jasper. Bacchus was amethyst. And of course, this was uh, to ward off, protect you, or give you power of the gods is what the Roman uh, culture did. And again, this is all over the world. People still do it today. Uh, China and Japan, the Oriental cultures, they do a written form, kind of like a, a calligraphy style. And this is supposed to be like a prescription, uh, to ward off evil, uh, including things uh, the China and Taoist experts are called Fulu, and they develop a special style of calligraphy that they said would be able to protect against evil spirits. The equivalent type of amulet in Japan is called the Ofuda, okay, but basically they don't resort to using stones or gems or jewelry. It's basically a written form, right? And you carry that around or put it in, you know, on your door, around with you, hang it up, do whatever. And that written form is going to protect you against the spirits. Of course, that doesn't work either. Now, believe it or not, the Jewish people get into this. I'll give you that in a second. But let me, let me give you a, a, a couple different ways that they would uh, utilize these things. Uh, they, they could be carried or worn on the body. They could be hung above uh, the bed uh, of an infirm person. Sometimes they even would use them uh, for medicinal treatments, because they believe it's the demons or somebody put a hex or a curse on them. That's why they're so ill. And so they would try to fight a cult with a cult. And, and sometimes they would uh, ha- have an amulet that they would place in a bath. You had to take a bath in it and sing as it near that was going to protect you. But Judaism got into this and still to this day, believe it or not, gets into it. And here's their big one. This is called the Hand of Miriam. We saw these things all over the place in the gift shops, okay? Uh, and typically, we're hanging upside down. But if you can see, just about every single one of those, if you're paying attention, has an eyeball, right? And again, so still to this day, the Jewish people and their superstition uh, believe that the hand of Miriam, also known as the hand of God, okay, is what's going to protect you from this evil eye, okay? Things of that nature. Uh, it's also known as the Hamsa hand, H-A-M. S-A, Hamsa hand, or that. And again, uh, not only could provide protection, they believe, which of course, unfortunately, does not work uh, for, uh, against the evil eye, but it could supposedly bring you happiness, luck, health, and good fortune. And they are all over the place, over there. Uh, believe it or not, some forms of pseudo-Christian groups still get into uh, amulets, uh, thinking that these things are gonna ward off evil. And of course, the, the big one, of course, is Catholicism. And uh, because you all know that if you got some holy water, that gets rid of vampires. Or if you put holy water, then that's going to get rid of those demons. Uh, If you don't have holy water when you're dealing with an exorcism, ain't nothing going to happen. Well, the key words there, ain't nothing going to happen because that's not how you deal with demonic possession. You deal with it in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. And by the way, with all due respect, you could sit there and have somebody, a priest or whoever bless it, that is still just water. There's nothing holy about it whatsoever. That's a Catholic tradition. Oh, and by the way, you'll, you'll be uh, uh, pleased to know that you can also get it in spray form, non-aerosol, so it's good for the environment. Uh, I was able to find that as well. Uh, but this is unfortunate too because people think, and, and I've dealt with this so many times, uh, even uh, as a pastor over the years. I, I've had Christians come up and say, Pastor Bill, I need you to come over to, to bless my house. I need you to come over and bless the house. I said, well, listen, I can, I can pray for you, whatever. And I says, but are, are you Christian? yeah I says and why can't you do it I mean if you're worried about spiritual warfare why are you calling me I says I mean I, I can help you I'm not saying I'm not gonna pray with you but why are you calling me well because because you you I, do I, really I got the power to do that I says yeah read your bible any born-again Christian has the authority in the name and power of Jesus Christ to deal with spiritual warfare you don't have to wait for the pastor to show up where does that mindset come from Catholicism unfortunately Right? You are, your hands are tied. You can't do nothing until that priest shows up with his holy water and starts doing his thing. Right? You're doomed. You're just going to sit there and suffer as your loved one is, is apparently crawling on the ceiling, right? writhing on the bed. Right? That's not biblical. Right? 
But that mindset still goes on today. And it isn't just holy water uh, that they treat the rosary that way as well. Scapulars, that's the thing that they put over the shoulder. Uh, Different medals, uh, devotional, religious, Catholic paraphernalia, uh, including figurines uh, of the saints and things of that nature that the saints are going to protect. Last time I checked, saints are dead. They ain't going to help you. The Bible's very clear. We saw this last week. Absent from the bodies to be present with what? The Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 8. When you're a Christian, you're born again. When you die, you go straight to heaven. You ain't coming back. Praise God. Who wants to come back? Okay, we come back in the millennial kingdom, but that's not what we're talking about here. Or if you're not saved, where do you go? You go straight to hell. You ain't coming back. So praying to dead people and all that stuff. Oh, by the way, what's the Bible say? When you try to contact the dead, God says that's detestable. Why? Because that's necromancy. He condemns that. And if you need power, if you need protection, it's always Jesus Christ. Scripture is very clear. So they, they resort to their own, if you will, religious pseudo-Christian gimmickry uh, as well. And they admit, quote, the power of this so-called holy water, blessed salt, other uh, sacramentals, uh, the, and things of that nature uh, is derived not just from the object, but the, quote, blessings of the Catholic Church. No, it's not. You don't fight fire with fire, Right? You don't fight the occult with the occult. That water is just water, and all you're doing is getting somebody wet when you're throwing it on them. Sorry. You want to get rid of spiritual warfare, you deal with God's way through Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that still goes on today, and oftentimes it's glamorized in Hollywood, okay, and things of that nature, but it's not true. It's not biblical. Now, let's get to some other things, amulets, but it's also called uh, good luck charms. How many guys were picking them babies uh, in a field growing up? All right, the good luck charms. Uh, this is speaking of Catholicism. This is a uh, uh, came over from Europe, even here into America, and the concept of lucky charms. Right? You ever eat that cereal? Right? It's not lucky, and it's uh, probably would uh, rot your teeth out. So I think it's made with one hundred and ten percent sugar. Okay, uh, but uh, anyway, lucky charms. It's uh, adherence of Saint Patrick is where this came from. Adopted the four leaf clover as a symbol of Irish luck, right? Because clovers are abundant in the hills of Ireland. And here's what they believe, right? It can't be a nine-leaf clover. It can't be a three-leaf. It's got to be the four-leaf clover, right? And here's what they say. They even made a poem about it. Here's the power, supposedly, of the four-leaf clover. If you carry it around with you, this plant. (laughs) One leaf is for fame. One leaf is for wealth. One leaf is for a faithful lover. And one to bring you glorious health. Yeah. All you got was a dead piece of plant, right? So you ain't helping yourself. But that's very popular today. People still believe that. They still utilize that, okay? Now, if you didn't fall for that one, you fell for this one. The lucky rabbit's foot, huh? You can even get those in vending machines, man, right? Now, what's wild is I didn't know this before that. I knew about the rabbit's foot, okay? And I didn't realize that rabbit's feet as a amulet to ward off against evil and give you luck and all that supposedly. By the way, there is no luck, okay? Luck to me sounds a little bit too familiar with Lucifer, Lucifer, so no. The Bible's very clear. Man makes his plan, God orders his step. God is sovereign, okay? And uh, he's the one who's in charge. There is no such thing as luck, okay? But see, that the whole concept of luck and attracting that to you, that's an occult technique. But rabbit's foot, right? I didn't realize this thing is still to this day all over the world. I thought it was just an American phenomenon. It's not. Watch this. Uh, The belief is held by individuals in a great number of places around the world, including not just the United States, Europe, China, Africa, North and South America. Basically, the planet is big on this rabbit foot thing. Now, it can't be just any rabbit foot if you want to get the authentic one. Uh, According to the occult, the donor rabbit must possess certain attributes, right? Such as having been killed in a particular place by a particular method or by a person possessing particular attributes like (gasps) a cross-eyed man. I guess that puts it in turbo mode or something. I don't know. Now, what's crazy is you're like, well, why have a rabbit? What's with the rabbit? Well, believe it or not, they did things, as the story goes, uh, that it was actually something else that was a lot more gruesome and so poor thing for the rabbit, but it was a little bit more palatable. And I quote, it's been suggested that the rabbit's foot is connected to a European good luck charm called the hand of glory. And you go, what's the hand of glory? And I quote, it was a hand cut off from a hanged man, then pickled. And you carried that thing around with you. Now, that's kind of gross, so guess what? Let's try a rabbit's foot instead. <laughs> so, anyway, so there's that. Uh, some sources tell us about specifics with the rabbit foot. Again, it can't be just anyone. 
It says, uh, some say the rabbit must be taken at the full moon. Others say, no, it's at the new moon. Some say, no, no, it's got to be taken on Friday. No, 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 it's got to be a rainy Friday. No, it's got to be Friday the 13th, John. That's when it really happens, right? Some say the rabbit should be shot with a silver bullet. Others say, no, 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 the, f- uh, the foot must be cut off while the rabbit is still alive. And I quote, a true lucky rabbit's foot is actually cut from a shape-shifted witch, right? So they, if the witch turns into a rabbit and then you could cut her foot off, boy, man, that baby's gonna have some power. Well, no, it's not. But whatever, but that is the belief. In any case, obviously, then you dry it out and it's preserved. You carry it around. Uh, people believe it's going to bring them good luck and fortune, all that stuff, especially gamblers, right? So be looking around here in Vegas, see who's still falling for that. Uh, rabbit's feet are either uh, authentic or imitation, frequently sold in curio shops, vending machines. They're dyed various colors and they're often put on keychains, right? So that's still out there at abundance. We might laugh and joke at that, but cultures around the world still believe this is going to protect them from evil. Okay, it's not going to work. But I like what one guy said, and I quote, he says, um, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't depend on the rabbit's foot because remember, it didn't work out too well for the rabbit. <laughs> okay, common sense right there. I'll tell you what. Uh, let me give you one more, and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up for tonight. Uh, another one, and this is uh, coming from Africa, and this is what's called the mojo bag, right? The mojo, you might have heard of mojo. And uh, it's borrowed from African culture, voodoo, right? There's ceremonies. And what they would do is they would place inside this bag uh, several so-called lucky objects or talismans or amulets, uh, also possible spells, and it was supposed to give you power and things of that nature and protection and all that stuff. So that's the mojo bag as well. And believe it or not, we'll, Lord willing, if we get that far, if we're still alive here, we're going to have a whole study just on voodoo and that kind of crazy stuff, zombies and things that, whew, man. Uh, is going on unfortunately today as well but I don't know about you but I'm, I'm glad that that's this whole idea with hexes and curses and talismans and 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 people actually trying to put curses on people that that's just for those backwoods countries right you know some of those unfortunate people that aren't more educated than you and I we don't have to deal with any of that stuff here today do we folks I'm telling you witchcraft and the occult is having a heyday in our country because at the same time that people are being led away the third pagan generation now removed from a Judeo-Christian ethic, right? And they're taking the Bible and Christianity and the Ten Commandments out of the school system and Hollywood has definitely turned away from God, okay? And they're promoting this stuff. It's having a heyday. Back in the day, if you wanted to get involved in witchcraft, the occult, whatever, you would have to go to some big town, downtown, some dark seedy alley and some bookstore, not anymore. It's out there being glamorized. In fact, witches no longer are hiding out in the shadows. They're out in the open, and they admit we're not just here, we're not just real, and there's not just a bunch of us, but we're really still trying to put curses on people, including our president. Watch this. President Trump doesn't always do what people expect him to do or even what his supporters want him to do. Is he being unpredictable, or could there be another cause, perhaps a magical one? Mandy Yates Garcia is the Oracle of Los Angeles. She says she's a witch, tarot card reader, spellcaster, energy healer, intuitive medium, shamanic practitioner, and magical life coach. Last night, she helped cast a so-called binding spell on our president to prevent him from causing harm to others. Some of Trump's critics are resorting to increasingly alternative methods to try to derail his presidency. RT's Emily Sue explains. When protests and mockery Yes, this is real life. This is really happening. (laughs) Fail to stop Trump from being the president. It's time to resort to the supernatural. Jump back. Twist the bones and then the back. No, really. Witches. A Facebook group calling on witches across the U.S. to cast a mass spell against Trump last Friday attracted over 12,000 likes. Celebrities are joining in, too. After an instruction manual went viral telling witches what to throw into their cauldron to make the ultimate anti-Trump potion. First thing you need, an unflattering picture of Trump. That's essential. Then, not just any color, but an orange candle stub. But if you can't find a candle, a baby carrot will do. A Tower Tarot card, which will be cast again and again on every waning crescent moon in the month until Trump's not in office. Okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. What we don't want is our faces on camera. Oh. Oh, 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 
those spirits of water. What I hope for is that we collectively have the capacity with our bodies, with our spirits, with our minds to overcome what it is we've been given. So mote it be! So mote it be! So mote it be! politics, in American culture, and certainly not in democracy. And the idea of trying to override, through magical means, the will of the President of the United States, I think is very sick. Yeah, I'd agree. That's pretty crazy, but it's really going on. Who would have thought in our lifetime that witches would openly not admit that they're witches, but they're openly out there saying, yep, we're gathering together to try to take down our president. All I got to say is, man, you must be doing something right if the witches are going after you. Uh, which also tells you the other camp that also wants to take them down, what spirit are you connected with if you got the witches on your side? So, But we won't get political. <laughs> but I think that's very factual uh, as well. Uh, but, uh, but you think, wow, how did this happen? How did this happen in our Christian nation? that witches are now way out in the open. It's not a backwoods alley anymore. Well, eventually what we're going to get into, Lord willing, next time, we're going to get into the history. How did all this happen? Okay, hear about the Salem witch trials and all that stuff? Yeah, that's, that's throwing our face all the time. Let's see what's going on with that. Uh, but eventually we're also going to get into what I'm going to call the promotion of witchcraft. It is made palatable. And I'm talking, folks, not just adults. It's the kids. It's everywhere. And if you don't think it has an influence on kids, you're lying to yourself. And what I've noticed is the cartoons are getting very, very blatant about occult practices and witchcraft. I mean, Bugs Bunny, the biggest thing that you had to worry about, he had a hammer, hits him on the head, right? And they're not just out there with witches with a big hat and a cat and flying on a broom. You know, that's, that's, that's tame. The cartoons today are showing kids exactly what to do to get back at their enemies in school. Why don't you just conjure up a demon with a pentagram? You see, you think I'm kidding. I'm going to give you a little teaser and then we're going to close. This is just one example of one cartoon that's out there that kids can stumble across. It's called Maddie. Full-blown occult. It's nuts. Watch this. Tonight is the night. Ad ligandum, eos pariter, eos coram me. Yeah, great show for kids, huh? Nice cartoon. That's how blatant it's getting nowadays. How many parents even pay attention to what their kids are watching? I mean, this is full-blown indoctrination. No hiding, no nothing in the shadows. But that's just the tip of the iceberg uh, of where it's headed. Now, did you notice she had the upside-down cross on? Did you also notice that she got mad at her friends, so what she used to get back at him? witchcraft and you'll get revenge did you notice also in her locker had a picture of a demon with hearts around it that was her lover or what she loved right and just how openly gruesome it was the the depiction of the the drawings were demons ripping people guts out and going folks a cartoon 
and you wonder why we have witches right now praying against our president out in the open. I think it's spread a whole lot faster than what we could even dream. And uh, we, the church, has been asleep at the wheel for way too long. And it's time we get equipped on this issue, which is why we're in, finally, the occult section. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. 
Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done. You can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.